0: I remind you of some things that are coming up this week. This coming Friday, ladies, is the night at the range. Uh, Our ladies have done this once or twice. The men have done it a few times. The men, a week from Friday, will be doing the same thing at the Wayne County Sportsman's Club. So, ladies, if you plan on attending this Friday, you need to uh, pay today. And you can do that at the resource center before you leave. That's out these doors and across the hallway. And you see in the program what all is involved for, for that night. The next day, this coming Saturday, is a baby shower for Jill Pollock. Uh, Jill and Aaron are expecting their first child, and we want to help them along their way with a, a baby shower and some things they're going to need. One to three on Saturday, it's a drop-in shower, so you can come anytime during that two-hour period, uh, for the showers. So, particularly ladies, I would encourage you to do that as an encouragement to, uh, Jill and to, to Aaron, uh, for their first baby. And then our next newcomer's uh, brunch at our house is going to be on Saturday, March the 5th. So if you have never been to one of our brunches, we would love to have you come. Even if you're not a newcomer, uh, we've had people who, uh, over the years, it's just fallen in such a way that they weren't able to come to the prior brunches. Uh, So we would still love for you to come. But anybody who hasn't been to one, uh, this is your next opportunity, 10 a.m. at our house on Saturday the 5th. But we need to know who's coming, so let the folks at the Information Center desk know about that. And then, last uh, item I want to highlight is baptism. That's on March the 20th, so that is coming up quickly. If you've never been baptized, then you need to be, Jesus says to be, baptism means you get dunked in water. And that's to symbolize his death and his burial and his resurrection. So that's why it's done that way. If you have never been immersed as an act of obedience to the Lord uh, after having come to him in faith uh, in baptism, then Jesus commands that for you. And we would love to participate with you in that, but you got to let us know uh, now. So there's an application, one-page application that you can get at the Information Center. Turn that in. It'll get to me, and we'll go from there. All right, we are in a series, you see the title on the screen, Get a Life, and we are now our third week into it, and the idea is for us to each know our purpose, so that we can then structure our lives around that purpose, and two weeks ago, in the first week, we saw that knowing our purpose has a number of benefits uh, to it, and these are in your the opening pages of your notes, but... Uh, If you know your purpose, it will bring focus to your life. And conversely, if you don't know your purpose and live accordingly, then you will live unfocused. And one of the ways that that will rear its head is that you will be driven by circumstances. Life will drive you rather than you driving life. That you will react rather than be proactive to life. You'll just react to what happens. So my life is just whatever happens, and I drift with whatever happens, because I'm not focused, because I don't know my purpose. Now, we all know that there are circumstances beyond all of our control. The only one in the universe who controls all the circumstances is God himself. So I get hit, you get hit, we all do, with circumstances that are beyond our ability to schedule or to wrap our our arms around. But, But if you have a broad enough purpose, it will even encompass when those kinds of things happen. That you'll understand that these things are happening for a purpose and you'll seek to fulfill your purpose in them. So even in difficulties, even in dire circumstances, the person who knows his or her purpose is still focused. One of the benefits of knowing your purpose is focus. Another is that it will simplify your life. In particular, one of the ways it will simplify your life is in your decision making. If you know your purpose, then something either fits with that purpose or it does not. The things that do not, you discard. The things that do, you you pursue. But if you don't have a defined purpose and a clear picture of what that purpose is, then everything's an option. And if everything's an option, then that's going to be a very difficult way to make decisions. As you sit here right now, if you're in that situation, I've never really consciously thought about my purpose so that I can intentionally pursue it. If that's the case with you, then you have... A boatload of options. I started to say unlimited. None of us have unlimited, but a lot. And you don't know whether you might drift to six months from now, a year from now, five years from now. You don't have a plan. And whatever pops into your head might be the next thing for you to do. Whatever advertisement you saw about a warmer climate. Now, look out the window. If you can turn your head there. That warmer climate is is looking good right now, okay? We got snow. We got bitter cold. And Aaron Kinder, one of our brothers in the church, is in Florida. And we all hate Aaron Kinder. <laughs> you know, depending on the circumstance, you get a brochure. You see a thing. You say, hey, why don't we? Have we ever thought about maybe we should get a place in? And it's just all whatever we might do. Not focused not simplified and it rears its head in that category in decision making and i noted it as well if you know your purpose it will it will motivate you the truth is one of the reasons that we are regularly looking for the next big thing for us is because things get old really quickly and so you just go through the motions and you've done that you've been what do we say been there and they're done that and with people who live in a culture like we do where even regular folk like us middle-class folk have disposable income did you' all know that this is y'all know that this is an anomaly in the history of the world that unless you were born into nobility in the history of the world you didn't have disposable income but here here we do Every person here, and I don't know everybody's circumstances, but I I know that every person here has some measure of disposable income. It's not just the stuff you need to subsist on, which is the way it was through the history of the world for people who were not born into nobility, and is for most people in other parts of the world today, even today. But here we've got disposable income. We can decide, am I going to spend it on this or am I going to spend it on that? But you know we get we have the, that gives us all kinds of opportunities and so it gets boring i've done this i've done that been there done that i've got to think of the big next biggest thing for me to do and so i'm constantly have this one wanderlust what's the next thing that's going to strike my fancy that's going to turn my crank because i've done so many things but if you know your purpose you can get up in the morning every day, and you can thank God that this day counts forever. And I know my purpose, and I know that whatever comes my way, whatever I do today, it fits in to eternity. And for me, that is one of the greatest gifts that God gives, is knowing your purpose every single day. And then it will prepare you. That's the last benefit. It will prepare you for standing before the Lord. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account of the deeds done while in the body. So when you stand before the Lord, what are you going to say? Let me show you my recreational events. Let me show you my travel itinerary. And the Lord is going to wonder how all of that fit into the purpose for which he placed you on this earth. So knowing your purpose has these benefits of focusing, simplifying, motivating, and and preparing. Now, to get your purpose, you can, we've noted two weeks ago, either do one of two things. You can either make up your own or you can discover God's purpose. So it will come as no surprise to you that I'm going to recommend that we discover God's purpose rather than each of us making up our own. And God tells us what his purpose for us is in his word. And he assigns to us in his word roles to play within that purpose. And we started last week looking at those roles and the development of what I call a personal mission statement. So if you'll take a look at pay, on page uh, 4 in your notes, page 4. Page 4 begins a four-step process in developing a personal mission statement. And in the first few pages of this, we give, as you see at the top of page four, a sample. And then we're going to see, beginning on page eight, you have four pages for you to do your own, for you to fill your own stuff in. Now, in this sample on page two, you see the first step is to list the roles that you're required to fulfill in your life. These are not discretionary. That's why the word required at the top there is emphasized. It's in italics. So list the various roles you're required to fulfill in your life. And they're divided into two kinds of roles. Common roles and individual roles. Common roles are the roles that all of us have assigned to us by God. So those six things that are listed there are not individualized. Every person here has these six things for us to, to do. Be a student of God's word, a sharer, a servant in God's church, a steward of his resources, a seeker of God's intimacy, a support of God's social order. So I'm to be all of those all of those things. You're to be all of those things. And I want you to note the word God's, the possessive there. God's word, God's, God's church, his resources, God's intimacy, God's social order. And that's worded that way on purpose to remind us that life is about God. That life is God-centered. Life is centered on him. So as I think about then these roles that God has assigned to each of us, reminding myself that these are all things that he has given to me to do. And this is all ultimately about him. But then there are the individualized roles or the vocations, the callings. Some of us have these. Some of us don't. Some of you will have others other than the four that I have listed here. These are four that apply to me as a worker, a husband, a father, a pastor. So if you're not married, then obviously the spouse thing doesn't apply to you. If you don't have children, the parent doesn't apply to you. Uh, If you're not not, uh, a pastor, then that doesn't apply to you. But these are callings that God has given to me, and they apply to me. Anybody else need notes? We got some more notes here. All right, I got one back here. Anybody else? I got one over here. Thanks, John. All right, so you then, when we get to page 8, you will need to fill in, not those first six, those stay the same for everybody. Don't go to page 8 yet. Yeah, I said when we get to page 8, you'll fill those in. But those first six will remain the same for everybody, but then those bottom uh, the bottom portion will be individualized. That then takes you to step two. And step two, top of page five, is about how we will play each of those roles. And last week, I I noted for you that step one is all nouns. A student, a sharer, servant, a steward, a seeker, a support, a worker, husband, father, pastor. These are all nouns. But nouns don't get anything done. You know, nouns are just announce themselves that are pompous. But verbs get the work done. And that's why when you get to step two and how to get this done, you're now going to add to those nouns a full sentence that includes, that in, a fuller sentence that includes these verbs. As a student of God's word, I must, and then here's something the Bible tells me to do with God's word, read it and learn it. As one who, and then you, you've got the blank there. there. It's not to say these are the only things you do. So you've got a blank there to add to add others that you find in Scripture about Scripture. But those would be two primary. Read and learn. Meditate would be another meditate on God's word. But as a sharer of God's word, here are some things I have to do, some actions. Establish redemptive relationships. Demonstrate exemplary character, the Bible says. As a servant, use and cultivate. The things that God has entrusted to me, my relationships, my time, my talent, my treasure. As a steward, I give to his church. I try to create margins so that I have to give to those in need. And then strive for physical health. As a seeker of God's intimacy, I commune with him. Again, all of these can have others added to them in a support I preserve God-ordained institutions like family, and uh, government, so on. Now, I just gave an example at the bottom of page five of the individual roles. As a worker in God's vineyard, I must labor, and do so. The Bible says with quality and and honesty. So these are the these are the verbs. And then, if you go to page uh, six and step number three. That's how you do it. And now step three is an action plan for carrying out these, these roles. So I've just got the I've got uh, the six common ones on page six and then on page seven, the uh, individual ones. Now notice, I will read God's word every and then you fill that in. However, you're going to do that daily, every other day. Uh, daily is, is best. I will learn God's word every, and you might uh, study God's word every week or every other week or something like that. But you've got to fill that in. Establish redemptive relationships with so-and-so by doing such-and-such. So this is an action plan. It puts action steps now to what we say we're, we're going to do. Otherwise, it never gets off the shelf. And then that goes on over into page 7, into the individual roles. And bottom of page 7, having laid that out, you're saying every week I'm going to do this. Every other week I'm going to do this. And then you actually schedule that. Put that on your calendar. This is the way now I'm going to schedule my life around this stuff. Now, when you do that, you have taken the roles that God has assigned to you, the ones he's assigned to all of us, and those that are vocation for for you, things that are particular to you, and you're putting those into your uh, daily routine. Now, pages 8 through 11 give you pages to do this for yourself. Top of page 8, notice it says, implementing my personal mission statement. And the only things that are filled in for you on these four pages are the first six because those are common to all of us. But you've got to fill in the bottom ones. Am I a husband, a wife? Am I a am I a, an employee? Uh, am I a parent? And then if so, if you have others that God has called you to, then you fill those in down at the bottom and you go through the, the same routine. And that takes you all the way through page 11. And this is a tool, friends, to help you get your life organized around the mission that God has assigned to each of us. Now, the only thing we've done so far in talking about that mission is put the one line up at the top, the top of page 2 and the top of page 8. top of page 8 says, I exist to glorify God in the biblical mission through maturing maturing obedience to his word in every role of life. But now, today and uh, for another week or two, I want us to see from Scripture what that purpose is. Where did we get that from? So here at the beginning, I want to give you a tool that tells you here's practically how you can do this. But now I want to go through and make sure that you understand the mission that God has assigned to us, the purpose for which God has us here. And that begins on page 12. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. That's in quotes. (laughs) And some of you are old enough to remember Mission Impossible. And you would have the tape going. And then your mission, should you choose to accept it, and then this tape will self-destruct. right? So uh, God hasn't given us a tape. He's given us a book. And he's told us what our mission is. And we say, should you choose to accept it, but please understand, it's not optional. This is what God, what we're going to see is what God has placed us here for. So it's not optional for us to pursue the mission that God has given. It's a matter of obedience for us. So what is that? that? Top of page 12. Most Christians would agree that we must intentionally live for God's purpose. And if asked to explain their purpose, most would correctly answer to bring glory to God. That's what my purpose is. But if you were with us last week, we saw that there's a couple approaches to bringing glory to God. One is that whatever I happen to choose to do, I'll try to do in a godly way. That's one approach. The other approach is the glory of God actually determines the things I choose to do. So it's not I simply go through life doing what I want. And as I do what I want, as long as it's not overtly sinful, then I'll try to do it in a God honoring way. Now. You want to do it in a God-honoring way. But your purpose and my purpose is so thoroughly God-centered that God wants us not to simply make our choices on what we like to do and then throw Him a bone, so to speak, as we're doing it. But rather, God wants you to make those choices and those priorities based upon what He's told you to do. So when we say to bring glory to God, many people... Simply say, I go through life, I do what I want to do, and then I glorify God as I go. We're going to see that we need to make choices intentionally about what it is we choose to do and what it is we prioritize to do to bring glory to God. So most Christians would agree, and if you didn't hear the lesson last week, they're all recorded, so I encourage you to go to our website and do that. If asked to explain their purpose, most Christians would correctly answer to bring glory to God. The Bible is clear that, as we saw last week, whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, we are to do it to the glory of God. But if asked to define what the glory of God is, many would be left silent. So to bring glory to God is the right Sunday school answer. And if you're in a community group and you're ever stumped on the answer to a question in a group setting, Say to bring glory to God, and you'll be in the ballpark half the time. Okay. And so, if you're if you have kids and you pick them up after Sunday school today, and they come out and you say, "What did you learn?" and they'll say about God, and you'll say, "Can you give me a little more detail uh, about Jesus, the Bible?" And they're learning at that young age to have these, these sort of Christianese that they throw out there. God, Jesus, the Bible, glory of God will be added to their vocabulary. That that's just something Christians throw out there, but or, or grace and all of these terms. But what do we mean by these things? What do you mean when you say glory, to bring glory to God? Let's see that then together. If asked to define what the glory of God is, many would be left silent. Still fewer could explain how you go about. Organizing your life to bring glory to God. So we need answers to these. I propose we start with the final instructions that Jesus gave to his first followers that we have listed for you on page 12. We call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's the end. That's the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's accomplished what he came to do. While on earth, he has he has lived a perfect life of obedience. He has healed and he has taught and he has lived a perfect life of righteousness, he has died on the cross for the sins of his people, he has risen, given these final instructions, and those are the last verses in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus ascends back to the Father. So now he leaves the apostles and us to carry this out. Now, how do I know us? In John chapter 17, the night before Jesus died, the night before he died, Jesus prays this majestic prayer. In John 17, he's praying to the Father, knowing that he's going to to the cross the next day. And he prays for the apostles in one section of that prayer, the guys that are immediately there. But then later in that prayer, he prays, prays for those who will believe their message. Guess who they are? That's us. Jesus prays for us the night before he dies. And there is work then that they are to do that Jesus prays for and work that we're to do that he prays for. And after he signs off, he goes back to the father. The fifth book in your New Testament, the book of Acts, begins this way. Luke, who wrote it, says in my former book. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about. All that Jesus began to do and teach. All that he began to do and teach. And do you know what that implies? That that was a beginning and it's continuing. And in fact, the book of Acts records the continuance of that work of Jesus. So this work of the Great Commission not only included the first followers, the apostles, but also those who would believe after them. And we see that in the book of Acts being carried out by, yes, the apostles, but also uh, the church that was formed because of their work. So we begin identifying our purpose with Jesus' final instructions to us that we call the Great Commission. But after that quote of Matthew 28 in your notes, I say, but if all things are to be done for the glory of God, then that includes the Great Commission. That is, the purpose of the Great Commission, as for all things, is to bring glory to God. So what is the connection between God's glory and our mission? How does the mission bring glory to God? All right, so everybody following? We all agree our overarching purpose is to bring glory to God. But then we've got these instructions to pursue the Great Commission. So how is this mission connected with the glory? How do those two things fit together? So here's how we start. Middle of page 12... Let's step back and and remind ourselves of the big picture, the panorama of human history that God has laid out for us in Scripture and his purpose for it. And you see this step back and this panoramic view in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, God gives John, the apostle John who wrote it, he gives him a vision of things to come. And one of the things that he, he shows John is in Revelation chapter 5. We're given this glimpse of the universal worship of God. And John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is this majestic vision of the universal worship of God. And this is going to be achieved. God has this as his purpose at the end, last book of the Bible, when it's all done, it's going to result in universal worship of the true and living God. And I want you to notice in this worship, I say at the bottom of page 12, that it's worship, it's focused on the character of God, who he is. The things that are being sung are about his character, his wisdom and his power and his strength. Theologians call this his Intrinsic glory. That is, this is who God is just because he's God. Whether anybody recognized it or not, that's who he is. It's his intrinsic glory. These attributes, these character qualities. He's to be worshipped because in his character, who he is, he is intrinsically worthy. All right, so that's the end game. The end game is there's going to be this universal worship of God. Focused on his character. Now let's step back. That's the end game. Let's step back in time. And you and I being brought to Christ, being saved, becoming Christians. Why did God call me out of the world into himself? Why did I become a Christian? Why did he make me one of his own? Bottom of page 12. In love, he predestined us. To be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Here's why. To the praise of his glorious grace. Praise is worship. Worshiping his character, his glorious grace. That's why. But top of page 13. Again, Ephesians 1. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why? To the praise of his glory. Why does everything happen, friends? Why has God created? Why is God orchestrating all of the events of human history? Why did Christ come to die for the sins of his people? You want an answer to that, it's so that God will be worshipped for who he is, to the praise of his glory. And God designed that that would be done before he created anything. When it says, bottom of page 12 in Ephesians one five, he predestined, that's before anything was created. So that was God's design, not at the beginning, before the beginning. <laughs> before In the beginning God created, before that, God predestined. And when you get to the end, that's going to be realized in universal worship. And in between, he saved you and me. He made us Christians. Verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. So what is God's glory? It is this majestic character of his that is to be extolled and to be praised and to be worshipped. And on page 13, I say that God's glory is his character, is seen in Romans 3.23, which defines sin as failing to be like God. All have sinned and fall short of what? That is, we fail to be like God, talk like God, and act like God. You say, I'm supposed to be God? No, you're not supposed to be God. But you're supposed to reflect God. We're going to see you're supposed to reflect God's character back to him. And failure to reflect what God is like back to God is sin. All have sinned and fall short of the character of God, the glory of God. And then Romans eleven thirty six makes clear that God's purpose for all things is his glory from him. Through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So God's purpose is that he be worshipped. That is that he be praised for who he is and what he's done. And this answers then the question of why we evangelize. Why do we give people the gospel of Jesus? It's to bring glory to God. But since that answer can be given for anything... Specifically, how does the Great Commission bring glory to God? And the answer to that is, now notice this sentence, universal worship requires a worldwide mission. You see, God desires and deserves to be worshipped by every one of his creatures. And that's why God has given a worldwide mission to go to the ends of the earth, to all nations, to call men and women out of every tongue, and isn't this the phrase the Bible uses? Every tongue and tribe and nation. Because God desires and deserves to be worshipped by every creature. And therefore, he is sending his people on this mission to the ends of the earth. So middle of page 13. He's assigned us. This worldwide mission. Now stay with me because you know, you're know you sitting there and if I'm you. I'm thinking, man, dude, a worldwide mission. I just want to make sure I can get my car scraped off tomorrow and get to work. Worldwide mission? Universal worship? This is all way too out there for me. Well, God has brought it down to where you are and where I am, but we're taking this step back big picture. And then having gotten the big picture, we're going to see what God says about how you and how I play a role in moving that forward. But for now, let's see that big picture of a worldwide mission, middle of page 13. It's God's desire to display his character, his glory to his world. And he desires and deserves that the response to that be worship. He wants it displayed to everybody, and then he wants everybody to respond appropriately, that is to praise him, to worship him. God's character is, as we saw earlier, his intrinsic glory. Worship, the response to who he is, is what's called ascriptive glory. Because of his character, God alone is worthy of worship. He's inherently worthy. The concept of glory not only refers to the attributes that God has, his intrinsic glory, but also to the believer's acknowledgement of that character, those attributes. This is called ascriptive glory because greatness and honor are Ascribed to God. That is, they are recognized and acknowledged. Psalm 29 Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. That purpose for God to display who He is and then for people to respond. By ascribing glory to him is seen from the very beginning of the beginning of the Bible to the end. We've seen that in Revelation five at the end of human history, God will be worshipped for who he is. We've seen that God planned for that to happen before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be for the praise of his glory. And we see God's desire for his own glory at the very beginning of history, at creation. And that's why among all of the creatures that he made, he made this one special uh, creature. Humanity. Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Dear friends, that's what you were made to be. That's what I was made by God Almighty to be a reflection of who he is back to him. And God made these creatures to reflect him back to him and then he wanted them to be, he says, fruitful and multiply. Now here's let me here's what that means. God made many of you've heard me say this in the past, God made us to be mirrors so that when he looks at us, he sees himself. We were made to be mirrors that reflect God, God's image. And God wants to be able to look everywhere in his universe, and you know what he wants to see? He wants to see him. And so he made these creatures in his image, these mirrors, and gave them the instructions to be fruitful and multiply. I don't only really want mem- mirrors, I want lots of them. I want all creation, and particularly these mirrors that I made, to reflect my image, to be seen everywhere. And so top of page 14, this reflection is not a physical resemblance. Because the Bible is clear that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Rather, it's personal and moral. It's personal in that we, humanity, have the components of personhood, as does God. That is, we have the faculties of thinking and choosing and feeling, mind, will, and emotion. It's moral in that we have the capacity to reflect God's moral character back to him. Now, notice that God wanted, and he still wants, multitudes of people to reflect him, thus the command to be fruitful and increase. And yet the entrance of sin into God's good world means that people no longer reflect his character. So what's the solution? Now you've got these mirrors being replicated, but all the mirrors come into the world broken. So every child that comes into the world is a broken reflection of God. And instead of being a clear reflection of God that we were originally made to be, These mirrors are the carnival mirrors now. Still mirrors, still in the image of God. The Bible says that even with sin, humanity still bears the image of God, but now it's a distorted image. It's not clear. And so when God looks at the mirror, he doesn't see himself clearly. He sees a distorted image of himself. The entrance of sin into God's good world means that people no longer reflect his character. So what's the solution? What's the solution to broken mirrors being repaired? That's the gospel. That's the mission. God has chosen to use the gospel message to transform people. The reason God gave the Great Commission is because it turns mouths and lives that now curse and rebel against him into mouths and lives that praise and serve him. Quote, evangelism exists where worship does not. That's a quote from John Piper. That's a great quote. Evangelism exists where worship does not. Where is worship supposed to exist? Everywhere. And so evangelism needs to exist wherever worship isn't. God's desire for universal worship requires a worldwide mission. All right. Everybody good with that? God does all things for his glory. And going back to before he created anything, he determined, he predestined that his glory was going to be reflected in what he would make. He gives us a picture of it at the end of human history in Revelation chapter 5. It will happen. But in between, how will it happen? It will happen because through the gospel message, God is calling people out of the world into Himself and He is transforming those people. He's repairing those cracked, broken mirrors. And He wants those mirrors everywhere. And He's given us that mission to carry that out. All right. That's a a wrap on that. But still, what am I supposed to do? Beautiful. And on page 14, I have that section on the glory of God and the church. Because as it turns out, the church, God has chosen as his vehicle to get this done. And I want to prove that to you but not in the next 30 seconds. God has chosen the church as his vehicle to get this worldwide mission done of seeing universal praise brought to him. And God then, as you might start getting a hint at now, we take the big picture, we step back, we look at this panoramic view of history and prehistory, and then at the end how it's going to be And then we step back and say, well, how is God determined to get that done and where do I fit into that? We're going to see he's determined to get it done through the church and then you can start to see that you play a role in that. That's what we'll see, pick up on next week on page 14. Let's ask God to go with us then this week. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to step back And look at really this breathtaking view of what you have determined to do and are doing in your world. Everything that happens in this world, every last thing that happens in this world, is done in pursuit of your glory. And Lord, we believe that there is nothing that happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, none of it, outside of your ultimate plan, purpose, decree. To achieve that glory. And everything is marching inexorably toward the end that you have ordained, and you have given us a glimpse of that end. We look at the end today, we can have confidence today, right now, February 14, 2016, because we know that God wins. And because God wins, we win. That your purpose will be achieved. And you've told us what that purpose is, that you be praised, that you be glorified in all that you have made. And you've given us, then, a role to play in seeing that happen. And that begins to define for us now why we're here and how we're to structure our lives. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us in the dark to grope around and wonder why you've placed us here. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark to grope around as to why you've left us here. You placed us here and you've saved us, but you've also left us here after you've saved us. It would appear that you still have work for us to do. That, that the, the one question of our eternal destiny is not the only question that needs to be answered. Because that was answered when we came to Christ in faith. We know we're going to heaven. In the meantime, you have blessed work for us to do. So help us, Lord, in the weeks to come to be able to identify what you have chosen as the vehicle to carry out your purpose in your world and to see our place in it. Go with us this week as we rejoice that we serve the true and living God and that we are indeed your hands and feet, your ambassadors in your world. We ask you, Lord, to grant us safety and to bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.